What is going on, everybody? Hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. That is right. We are back again on the Sports Card Show podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the number one undisputed, longest-lasting sports card show podcast in the business. Is this going to be one of those episodes where we're just all fired up and we're yelling at you guys? I don't know. I don't think so. I think this is going to be a little bit more of a kind of a nuts and bolts kind of uh, episode. I'm talking a little bit about some of the stuff that's going on in this hobby that, uh, you know, hey, it's kind of exciting. We got the NBA, you know, the NBA playoffs kind of wrapping up. I think there's, you know, other than the Warriors, the rest of the teams involved really haven't been. And I think Toronto's been been running deep lately, but Milwaukee and Portland aren't two teams that I think people jumped. On. I mean, maybe maybe Milwaukee, but these are teams that are kind of making their first kind of foray uh, potentially. I don't think Portland's going to make it, but uh, Milwaukee and Golden State Warriors NBA Finals might be kind of interesting. So got that going on. Obviously, we had the NBA draft lottery. Just a couple nights ago, that was like when the Lakers popped up into the top four. My phone, uh, I mean, it was like notifications just flying, uh, flying uh, through the roof on that thing because uh, we did have the sh- a shot to get Zion. We still probably do. Uh, personally, if I was the Lakers, I'd practice LeBron in the number four pick uh, for the number one pick and get Zion and kick LeBron James out the door. But Lakers uh, contractually, they probably can't do that, and uh, the nutsack between the, any of the anybody that has uh, ownership in the Lakers certainly not there as well to do, pull off a move like that. But I think it'd be kind of cool. Talk a little bit about Zion, a little bit about the NBA draft lottery, which didn't fall. I don't think in a favor like that favorable, but I think in today's NBA, uh, and there's a long ways to go. Okay, New Orleans hasn't picked Zion, so we'll talk about that. We will give you, I want to talk about, uh, so Gary V posted a blog, and I like that he finally put some of this content on a website that I can link to, uh, and kind of laid out his, you know, three points about cards. I think Gary V is also realizing with these card guys, you know, with some of his motivational, when Gary V's getting up there and saying, hey, you know, take a step back. To, to, you know, get a better job, you know, quit your job. Or, you know, he's saying if you're 23 or 24, you, you don't have to know what you're going to do or be, a, you know, be an explosive earner or something like that. I think when he's saying stuff like that, it's actually a pretty easy thing to agree with. It's actually a pretty easy thing. You know, he's not going to get a lot of pushback on, on any of that. Um, with some of the stuff he said about cards, I think people are kind of pushing back and saying, hey, dude, are you really thinking about this? Or are you just, you know, kind of spouting off? Um, I think in his blog, he's kind of gone over his thoughts a little bit better, kind of categorized it, kind of uh, hedged his bet a little bit. But we'll talk about some of his three main points. Talk about that. We will talk about... Oh, I'll give you an Amazon update. Why I wanted you to give you an Amazon update is for most of you that probably don't know, had my second son born in February. And so, needless to say, I haven't been doing crap uh, since, uh, you know, right the beginning of February. So, what I wanted to do is show you guys, okay, I haven't touched my Amazon business. I mean, yeah, I've touched it a little bit, but very, very, I've touched it very, 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 very little. I'm talking very minimal effort. Over the last, call it about three months or so. My son just a shade over three months old. So I wanted to give you kind of a three-month period of time of my Amazon business where I didn't do shit, okay? And that will probably slide us into my, my 
kind of make 2019 your best year ever. But I talk a little bit about side hustles and businesses and a business, really. You know, I think there's, you know, there's kind of this perception that, you know, your side hustle can become your job. And maybe I do a poor job of kind of explaining that on this show. What I want to explain is there's side hustles and then there's businesses. Okay. I'm often on this program when I'm talking about the ways I make money. I'm often talking actually about my side hustles. Okay. I have some very, very regular steady stream of money. And no, it's not a trust fund like Vegas Dave or some of these guys that are out there. It's a legitimate business. Okay. With, you know, a legitimate. So I don't have employees and desks and phones, but I've talked about on this show that I don't want all that. So I wanted to talk about, you know, just making sure your mind is in the right spot. When you're setting up a side hustle, understand it's a side hustle and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If you got two kids about to go to private school, hey, maybe setting up a side hustle to compensate for that extra money you've got to pay out might be a good idea. Or you got a kid that's, you know, 14, 15, 16 and you'd like to have them have him or her buy, have a car and that's going to cost you a few thousand dollars a year probably in maintenance and and all and gas and insurance. Hey, you might want to have a side hustle getting ready to pay for that. Or some of you guys might have such a deep addiction to cards or what buying watches or going on vacation Whatever it is, having a little extra money come in the door is good. But I don't ever want anybody to confuse that with actually starting a business that could potentially be, you know, kind of your job, I guess. And so we'll talk about kind of balancing both those things and actually the kind of the negatives and pitfalls into both of them. I think a lot of people, you know, maybe myself included, get on here and say, hey, start a website and hey, start selling on Amazon. Hey, start doing this without ever talking about a lot of the kind of the negative things or kind of some of the things you might want to think about before you kind of jump two feet in the water with those things. So we'll talk about that. Um, trim slabs. Guys, no, I can't uh, get get by the trim slabs. Uh, another Big, big, big explosive find on the blowout thread is someone found, I think, over, I think, almost 100. Uh, he just, I think he just looked at Steph Curry cards and James Harden cards and found over 100 that were trimmed and sold and graded on PWCC. So, again, I don't think this will take a lot of time or and a lot of effort and a lot of thought, really. But, guys... I would stop buying anything in a P in a PSA holder. I'd stop buying anything in a BGS holder, and I sure as hell would stop buying anything from PWCC or any of these quote unquote consigners. Let all the fucking smoke clear, and then when the smoke clear and the dust settles, then you maybe can buy, maybe figure out what you're buying. But it's not hard. I don't think we're breaking any news here on the Sports Card Show podcast. It's not hard to trim these cards. There are devices you can buy on Amazon that will trim these cards for you. And it, yes, it sure isn't hard to find a grading company that will grade them appropriately after you've trimmed all the corners and edges to perfect condition. 
Again, if you like spending thousands of dollars or maybe even tens of thousands of dollars on cards that have been altered but are quote-unquote graded PSA 10, knock yourself out, guys. If you're landing your helicopter on your yacht, $1,000 here and there probably isn't a big deal to you. But the facts of the matter are 99.99% of you guys listening are not landing your helicopter on your yacht. And $100, let alone $1,000, let alone $10,000 is a lot of money to you guys. So I would stop buying anything graded by PSA. I would stop buying anything graded by BGS. I would stop buying anything graded by anybody. And I'd sure as hell wouldn't buy a damn thing from PWCC auctions on eBay or anywhere else or any other consigner, most notably start with their eBay name starting with P. PWCC, Probstein, I would stop buying from these guys. ASAP. Okay? Again, until the smoke clears. If you guys are... Okay, here's my caveats. If you're landing your helicopter on your yacht, who gives a fuck about $1,000? Or if you're 80 years old and you might not be able to wait around until the dust, the smoke clears and the dust settles then, hey, knock yourself out. If you want to leave your kids trim slabs, knock yourself out and buy that stuff. But the most of you guys, I'm going to assume, the vast majority of our audience is tends to be a little bit, skews a little bit younger. But most of you guys are probably around my age or younger. And $1,000 is a lot of money to you. And while I'm not in this camp, I would guess the vast majority of you don't even have $1,000 saved up because the stats say 60% of Americans don't have $1,000 in their fucking bank account. And I would agree that probably most of you guys listening fall into that camp. So I would stay, take a breath, save up $1,000 in a Schwab account, E-Trade account, Ameritrade, whoever you want to go with. Save up $1,000 and then see if the smoke is cleared on these trim slaps. My guess is it's going to take a while. Sports Card Radio, with the help of people out there on four. And I know I've had people, we have people on our Facebook comment like, oh, all you're doing is going to blow out and putting it on your website. Uh, newsflash, guys. Have you ever fucking seen the news these days? It's. Donald Trump said this on Twitter, and this is what everybody said. It's Kim Kardashian posted herself on a bikini on Instagram, and here's an article about it. That's literally the news these days. First of all, realize a lot of people aren't on blowout forums. And second of all, realize a lot of people aren't on Twitter. And believe it or not, not that many people, there's people that don't check their Facebook every day and aren't glued to this shit. So there is, you know, and what we're trying to do is actually spread the word, spread the awareness. Spread the awareness to all the loyal people listening on the show that I know for a fact are you're not on your yacht right now. You're not flying in your helicopter right now. Chances are you're at work, you're on a run, you're taking a break, you're winding down your day 
listening to the Sports Card Show podcast, and we appreciate it. And the way I want to show my appreciation to you, whether you like it or not, is to warn you and make you aware of these things that ultimately could cost you money and ultimately could hurt your interest in this hobby and that would also hurt your interest in listening to the show. So my number one goal is actually to keep you in this hobby for a long time. And the way you do that is not get scammed and not feel ripped off. So we'll gladly point these things out um, as time goes on. And believe me, guys, this is a developing story. There is more information we could be posting. There is more stuff that will come out. Just give it time. And unfortunately, we found almost 200 cards documented, trimmed, fake, or altered that were graded essentially PSA 10 gem mint. But believe me, there's a lot, a lot, a lot more to this story. Okay. Just wait. Doesn't all involve PSA? Doesn't all involve BGS? It certainly involves these consigners who I would not trust with my life, let alone my cards. So just be careful out there. And again, the herd mentality in this hobby really kind of feeds these kind of scams. Everybody thinks you've got to send your card in to get it graded. You got a photo of a man and you got to send that photo of a man to somebody else to tell you what kind of condition it is in. I mean, literally, that's what you guys are doing. Okay, and now people are have a photo of a man and are kind of butthurt that there's just a little imperfection of this photo. And so they're getting these, you know, really inexpensive machines to just kind of shave the edges off. And they're sending it in to a service that grades photos of men. And when these photos of men are in good condition, other men pay more for them. So, again, it's a strange hobby. When you break it down to its simplest form, it might be easy to understand why you need to be careful about this stuff. But the herd mentality fed the grading craze. There's also a herd mentality about, oh, you gotta send, you gotta send it to PWCC, you get more money. Or oh yeah, he's got the, all the auctions, he must be doing really well, and they must be checking all this stuff. No, they're not. They're part of the whole scam too, guys. They don't give a fuck about any of you guys. Clearly, they don't. Okay? They don't care about the authenticity of their cards. They don't care if their customers are spending thousands of dollars on them. In fact, they're part of the whole scam. So, again, all this stuff is going to keep coming out and keep matriculating its way through the hobby. And we will be here to let you guys know all about it. So, first thing is first. So the first thing I want to talk about is I'm going to put a link in the show description to Gary V's blog. And so he kind of posted three main points and he did a good job, I think, on his blog kind of expanding upon it. Because like I said in the intro, you watch Gary V, you watch some of his motivational stuff. It, it's it's almost like undisputed, hard to argue with. Okay, The guy tells you to quit, quit your shitty job. I think he puts it that way. Tells you to take a step back in life. It's okay to be making $40,000 a year to, and take a step back and make twenty. 
I know a lot of you guys don't understand that. I have friends that don't understand that. That instead of working 14 hours a, a, a week or a day, maybe take a step back and work too. Who cares if your bills don't get paid for a little while? I don't, I don't know anybody that's ever gone to jail for not paying a bill. So remember that. But So Gary Vee, again, on some of his motivational stuff, it's just kind of common sense. With the sports cards, I think some of his some of his takes, you can definitely push back on him. And I think he's kind of realizing that and he's kind of expanding upon him in this blog. So I'll, I'll, I'll throw a link up to it. But his first point in why he believes sports cards are about to explode in culture and value is that kids, quote unquote, kids who cut their teeth selling sneakers are going to make real money with sports cards because of the increased ability to secure dramatically more inventory when they believe in a product. And I think he's right on the surface of this. But I think a lot of people that sell sneakers might look at this as it's fact. But in fact, it's not It's not a fact. Yes, you can maybe get dramatically more inventory. But I would also argue there's dramatically more risk involved. Okay, what do we know about sneakers, guys? We know that they're similar in cards at Nike and Reebok and, and Adidas and these companies. They're not going to stop making sneakers. And that's because people put them on their feet and they wear them and it's uh, not your traditional, I would say, consumable product, but is a product that can be used up. You can use up a pair of shoes. Now, I know a lot of the ones that sell for $200 and $300 often stay in the box and are, are treated just like these cards are. But I'd also argue that the floor value on a pair of sneakers is a lot higher than 99% of cards that are made. 99% of cards that are made are pictures of men. A picture of a man can depreciate down to basically zero. And the demand for that picture of a man, as we've seen time and time again in this hobby, more often than not actually depreciates down to a value very close to zero. Whereas a pair of sneakers, I don't care how ugly or how, uh, you know, again, the, 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 the more common the shoe is, if it's like a common brand that you buy at Walmart or something like that, certainly those can depreciate down to a very low, low value. But when we're talking about mid to higher end Nikes, and Adidas shoes, the floor value on those shoes, I believe, um, isn't zero, and it doesn't normally, uh, you know, approach zero. At some point, demand for a pair of sneakers is there because if you go to the store, the price for even kind of a low end set of Nikes is is forty bucks, fifty bucks. So certainly, a pair that used to sell for two hundred is sitting there for forty, fifty bucks. It's going to get bought really quickly. Okay, that's not the case with trading cards. So kids who cut their you know, teeth selling sneakers might actually benefit from sneakers not allowing them to buy a lot of inventory because there's a lot of sneakers that you buy that you don't make money on. And the fact that you only got a pair or two actually might have helped your bankroll. Whereas kids that go all in on any number of these guys that go up and then go down, 
If you bought Lonzo Ball at the wrong time, you were way underwater on his cards. If you bought any of those rookies, Jason Tatum, Kyle Kuzma, virtually all the rookies from that class, outside of maybe De'Aaron Fox. If you buy these guys at the wrong time, making money is damn near impossible. But I believe what I do believe and what I agree with in this take is for sports cards to explode in culture and value takes people that want to make money. Because just remember all the way back to the 1989s and the and even kind of the early 2000s when jersey cards and stuff were hitting. What did people want? They Yes, they wanted these pictures of men. But what did they want to replace that with? Stacks $100 bills. People were not collecting 1989 Donruss just to, you know, donate that to their kids or put that in the trust fund. No, they were going to sell them one day and have stacks $100 bills around. At least that was the belief. And sports cards exploded in culture and value at the time. So if people believe that you can buy cards and flip them and make a lot of money, yes, that will help the value. That will help them, um, I don't know, explode, but definitely get more uh, mainstream in, the, in at least those discussions. So I think that is part, you know, kids who cut their teeth selling sneakers, jumping into cards. I would argue, too, there's a little bit more nuance to cards. There's definitely a lot more. I think there's just a tremendous amount of risk because even when LeBron James gets hurt, it's not like his shoes go down in value like Im- immediately. Or, you know, and Jordan's been retired for, uh, you know, two decades basically. His shoes don't, his shoes still sell incredibly well. In fact, a lot of them go up year after year. So, um, and that's not the case with a lot of retired athletes. So there's a there's some big big difference between for me between selling sneakers and selling trading cards. And if you think, "Oh, I'm going to be able to buy way more of them," that also increases your risk level I think exponentially. And as someone that has you know has run a sports card shop, has has now run an Amazon business for going on 2 years now, Having these inventory businesses, you know, having cash flow is very important. And if you're buying trading cards and sitting on them, waiting for the quote unquote the right time, or if the time, you know, you thought this guy was going to, you know, really go up in value and they they really didn't. And you kind of think, well, now, you know, now I got to sit on another year. Well, if you bought a bunch of expensive ones, what are you forced to do? Sell the cards. So I think it's, it's very difficult to draw the connection between making money selling sneakers to making money on cards. I think they're two completely different things. And I think the ability to secure, secure dramatically more inventory is actually going to cause people to lose, lose money and not make money. Because one thing I found that is true with people and cards is their emotions and other things get involved. And that, that's not always a good combination to make money. 
And if we're talking about higher-end cards, you know, cards $90, I mean, if you want to you know, cut your teeth on 25-cent cards, I think that's a completely different thing. I certainly have tens of thousands of cards throughout. I have three different Check Out My Cards accounts. I have tens of thousands of cards for sale. I've bought over 100,000 cards. Okay, none of them, almost none of them, I've ever priced for more than a couple dollars. I'd probably be out of the out of the buying and selling game if I was only you know buying and selling cards that cost hundreds and hundreds and thousands of dollars. Eventually, you're going to make a mistake there. Eventually, you're going to have some inventory slippage or whatever it is, and you make one mistake on a $1,000 card, $2,000 card, and up, all of a sudden, there's your whole profit for the whole year. Gone. Really, if you want to cut your teeth, is you probably should, you know, maybe my brother wouldn't want, I don't think he really cares, but you want to cut your teeth making some money, buy and sell some football tickets, guys. That's where you're going to make some money. And once you get figure that out, then you could be a big boy and start buying and selling stocks. But leave all your emotional attachments at the door if you're going to get into that. Number two point, Gary Vee believes sports cards are going to explode in culture and value. He says nostalgia. People from the 80s who grew up with sports cards now have kids. And the reboot is on. And on the surface, on the surface, I agree with this point. And in fact, back on show number 83, this is the Sports Card Show podcast. We've been a lot long, around a lot longer than Gary V's blog. So you better believe we've discussed if sports cards will boom again in the future. And we did on show number 83, way back in 2011. This is one of the things we talked about amongst anything, um, many things on that. I'll try to show, throw a link to that show if you want to go back. I don't know, I don't know the quality of it. It was seven, eight years ago at this point. I don't know the quality of this show, but um, I, I do recall talking a little bit about how you know you have this generation that grew up collecting, and now they're getting jobs and they have money and they they want to spend it on shit that makes them feel like a kid again. And I totally get this argument. Totally, totally buy into this. Totally think on its surface, again, makes a lot of sense. But I think what we have to do is realize it's 2019, not 1999 anymore. Okay. And I'm not talking about TV sets and entertainment and video games have all gotten better and everything's gotten cooler since then. Okay. Um, What I want to do is just look at the hard facts. The hard facts are CNBC says 60% of you guys listening don't have $1,000 in savings. Literally. The economy is better than ever. Probably as good or better than it was way back in, what, 1999. But the problem is none of you guys have any money. The other problem is most of you guys went to college and you owe your college, you know, like a, a, a S500 Mercedes. You basically owe your college $120,000 or $50,000 or $45,000. That was not the case in, in when 
trading cards boomed in the 80s. People did not have tens and tens of thousands. Now, people did have student debt at that time, and probably relative to how much income they had and all that other stuff, probably was significant. But it's nowhere, nowhere near where it is today. And I don't know what the stats are back then on, again, $1,000 was a lot more in the 80s than it is now. Maybe you could say $500 back then. My guess is the stats are probably about the same. But the fact is, most of you guys don't have any money. And the fact is, most of you guys are probably in debt to a college or at the very least to your credit cards. Most of you guys probably listening are actually both. You owe your college five figures and you, have, you owe five figures to J.P. Morgan and Chase. So yes, people in the 80s grew up with sports cards, but what they also did is they went to college, you know, majored in gender studies or communication or some of these brilliant fucking degrees that they charge you six figures for. And then you get out and you realize, oh shit, the coolest job I can get is teaching for $38,000. And there's guys recording podcasts and fondling his dick all day that make 100000 in a year. And don't owe anything to his college because he didn't graduate. <laughs> so that I think is the biggest difference. If people in the 80s were making good money, if a lot of you guys were making good money, had money saved, and you, sure, you'd probably have money left over. The other stat that I've been seeing is, you know, a lot of these genius fucking millennials out there, and I'm, I'm actually, I think I actually fall into like the last or second to last year of a millennial, so I could consider myself one, but most of you guys are fucking so retarded that I don't want to be... Uh, you know, you're so worried about your Snapchat and your, your Facebook and your Instagram, and you're not worried about making a, a nickel, let alone a dollar, off those sites. Um, but th the other thing is, is a lot of these kids aren't getting married. They're not starting families. A lot of it is because they are fairly intelligent. They went to college, and they realize, shit. I can't raise a kid working at Dairy Queen. Shit, I can't work, you know, work middle management at a retail job and then buy a house and start a family. And that's certainly why I delayed, you know, one of the reasons why I, I've only had, you know, kids in the last couple years is I want to make sure I had a nice car, a nice house, and money in the bank to take care of these guys. And it took me a little bit longer than most. But compared to a lot of these millennials and things like that, um, a lot of them aren't starting households, aren't, aren't having kids. They will later in life. Trust me. They will later in life. It's just going to take that generation, going to take that generation of people, uh, you know, maybe a decade or more longer to start a family than what was, quote unquote, normal back in the 80s and 90s and even some parts of the 2000s. We've literally raised a generation, more probably a generation and a half, of go to college, rack up a bunch of debt, major in whatever you want, and get out and, and go grind. That's literally what we've been teaching you guys.
And so most people that take the herd mentality end up in the 99%. And the 99% right now barely has a nickel to their name and owes you know, a top-of-the-line Mercedes to either J.P. Morgan Chase and a college or both. So, I, you know, I think the people from the 80s who would like to reboot cards, would like to have a family, would like to have a kid, problem is most of them can't afford it. Gary V's final point on why sports cards are going to explode in culture and value is buying expensive packs as similar to sports betting, which is also getting bigger. And I have some, here's where I agree with him on this point. Expensive packs is like gambling, okay? But the thing is, is with gambling is I actually think buying expensive packs, if you gave me the choice, open expensive packs or cards or gamble, I would open up expensive packs as a cards because at least it's not a zero-sum game with opening expensive packs. Even if I get quote-unquote nothing, I am left with something, okay? You open a $500 box and you're left with $50 in cards, it's a hell of a lot better than opening a $500 bet at the sports book and watching it lose. Can't, can't imagine anything worse than that. Done it a couple times. I don't think I've ever bet eh, maybe a couple hundred bucks here and there. But betting on sports is like excruciating. You bet, and if the game starts going the other direction, you feel like shit. Now, I know you spend $500 on a box of cards, and you get $50 of points and redemptions. You feel like shit, but at least you've got something. So, in some ways, I I agree with him here, but in some ways, um, sports betting is an even worse gamble than buying expensive packs. Um, the other thing that I would counter to this is sports betting is going to take away a lot of customers. Instead of buying expensive packs, instead of buying some packs, guys are going to blow, dust it off in the sports in the sports book. Certainly, if I was a group breaker and things like that, I wouldn't want my big whales betting on sports or thinking they can bet on sports. So, in some ways, I actually think the expansion of sports betting, because again, a lot of you guys listening are huge fans of sports, you might start laying some bets down. And guess what? That's going to come out of your discretionary budget. Again, not all of you guys are landing your helicopter on your yacht. So, a $100 bet, $50 bet, $20 bet here and there, it's going to take from something. And my guess is for some of you, it's going to take from your packs of cards. So I liked, again, in the show notes, I'll include a link to this blog. I think he, he categorizes some of his, his point is his points and his things like that. He even shows some of the cards that, uh, he even talks about some of the cards he thinks will go up in value. Oddly, he thinks, um, Hakeem Elijah one, because Africa is about to, Africa's about to, you know, get developed and people are going to have money there and they're going to want Hakeem Olajuwon cards. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe he's been to Africa more, more often than I have, but um, uh, I think the people in Africa, 
probably will spend their money on other things other than Hakeem Olajuwon cards, but they still might. I mean, Hakeem Olajuwon's probably underappreciated uh, in the in the United States, let alone in Africa. So we'll we'll see where where his predictions uh, take us, and we'll see where they go. Now, obviously, I'm I'm. I'm excited about cards. I hope that they they do do well. But at the same time, I always want to try to give as much context around the information that that we provide here on this program, and not make it seem like, hey, cards are this easy money thing. It's you know, it's easy, and just buy three hundred dollar cards and they'll sell for four hundred. It's not that easy, guys. No, not even close. Now I am on this program giving out the easy ways to do this. If you want to make money in sports cards, guess what, guys? Set a filter on eBay or check out my cards and just look at cards under $5. So only cards I would mess with. Now that we've got trim slabs and all this other crap, you think the guys that are buying these cards are really excited now about buying more? And certainly as, again, this, the PWCC, PSA, Trim Slab scandal is going to keep getting bigger and bigger, guys. Trust me. There's information we love to talk about on the show today, but we can't, but we will at the correct and appropriate times. But trust me, the guys that do land, maybe not necessarily land helicopters on their yacht, but drive Teslas and nice cars, but aren't always on social media posting about their cards like Gary Vee, guess what, guys? A lot of these guys are fucking pissed. And these are the quote-unquote whales of the industry who are not happy. So that's why we get on this program and say, hey, guys, who cares if you bought a 25-cent card and it got got trimmed? What's the downside on a 25-cent card? What, 15 cents? What's the upside? It could be four, five, six, ten, fifteen dollars. What's the downside on a Luka Doncic that sold for $9.50 in March? Guess what, guys? We're finding out it's actually about 200 bucks and it'll probably go lower. So, again, to kind of wrap up my point, one final point that I wanted to make that I think is it could be one of the key, key, key points of it all. If we think sports cards are going to explode in culture and value, one of the reasons why I'm a little hesitant to just kind of guarantee that that prediction is most of you don't have $1,000 in a bank account. Again, my son is two and he has 1000 so you should feel ashamed and feel like you should probably catch up, honestly. Most of you guys listening, or a lot of you guys listening, probably owe a very, 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 very large sum of money to a college, probably more than you've made in the last two years combined, let alone the last year. But one of the reasons why cards exploded in culture and value 20 years ago, 30 years ago, was because, guess what, guys? The packs were 99 cents. 
What was the most expensive pack? $1.99, $2.99. I know with inflation, $0.99, cents, $1.99 isn't what it used to be, but what's a fucking pack cost these days? $100, bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks. And finally, I could go up to my Rite Aid or my Kmart or my uh, whatever, let alone the four or five hobby shops that existed in a town. I could find cards everywhere, 7-Elevens, anywhere, everywhere was selling cards. Now where do you got to go to buy cards? You have to go on the internet. You have to go into some breaker's stream. You have to bid on them on eBay. You have to go to hacked websites like Blowout Cards. You have to go to hack websites like Tops.com. Tops has been hacked like 50 times. I just got like $400 put on a card. I bought the 582 Club membership, and I've literally been, I mean, at least five, six, dollars $700 of fraudulent charge literally since that day. And ironically enough, all companies based in New York. <laughs> So you buy cards, you get your your account hacked. I mean, I've gotten like three different, I've literally gotten like three or four different Capital One cards since I bought the 5A2 membership. Like I've literally had to replace the account like four different times. It's crazy. Part of that is Capital One's fault. But these are hacked websites that we got to buy cards on these days. You can't go to just your random, you know, store these days and buy it. Target and move the card aisle. Not in my stores yet, but in a lot of people I've been seeing moved it all the way in the back. So unless you're buying a TV or something like that, you're not going to look at cards anymore at Target. You're not going to know where they are. So they're not as easy to get. They're more expensive. People don't have that kind of money. And times are really good right now. To think this is just going to keep going on and on and on and on is foolish. Even for someone like me who really believes, hey, we've got a present in there. I know none of you guys fucking like. You guys spend 90% of your day disagreeing with them on Twitter. Whereas if you spent that time educating yourself, you'd probably be making a million dollars. I mean, I literally see the same five people, you know, pissed about uh, Trump on my uh, Twitter stream. And I always ask them, hey, dude. If you if you had spent the last uh, two years, two and a half years, uh, actually, you know, maybe taking care of yourself, trying to lose weight, make some money, what could you accomplished? Instead, you're on the internet talking about a politician you don't like. But the bottom line is, he's guided our economy. You know, you guys all thought it was going to crash. I got on the show right when he was elected and told you, oh no, that actually the opposite's going to happen, guys. So, I, I mean, I think the economy is going to can continue based on, on, on kind of the, the, the policies that are being enacted and the ones that aren't, you know, like 70% tax rate and things like that are pretty ridiculous. And these tariffs, believe it or not, are going to shift the supply chain. Okay, why would you fucking make your shit in China when you can go make it in India or Indonesia or any of these other countries, let alone the fucking United States? Will prices go up temporarily? Yeah. 
But eventually, guys, the supply chain will get shifted. And supply and demand will decide the price and where that product is made. And guess what? It doesn't have to be made in China. And most of you don't have any money, so you probably should take a break from buying crap made in China. But anyways, moving on. So, again, Gary Vee made some very nice points. I like them on the surface. Sound really great. But when you dig into them, eh, might not pan out exactly as well as maybe some of his other advice. And times definitely have changed. I think we all can agree on that. Times have changed since the 80s. Times have changed since the 90s. Times have changed since the early 2000s. Times have simply just changed. Okay? Not saying cards are going to go away, but will they react the same way in the future? Not necessarily. Will they continue to be valuable? Of course. All you got to do is log into eBay and uh, you know see these and these guys that are trimming these cards. Obviously, there's money to be made there. So, moving on, NBA draft. Let's talk about. Let's jump into the NBA draft. Um, so, as you guys all know, unfortunately, I think for I, I think unfortunately for Zion's marketability. The Lakers nor the Knicks got the top pick. Both could make a play upwards in, in, into the draft. I personally think a roster of Anthony Davis, Zion Williams, and they have Julius Randle there. I, you know, on the surface, that sounds amazing. I don't think that's a great lineup. I think that's actually a terrible lineup for uh, Zion to really be able to go off. I mean, if he was on the Knicks, God, he'd be able to just go off. Uh, you know, two or three nights a week, they just feed him the ball like they did Donsek. Again, that's what a lot of you guys don't realize about Luka Donsek is the coach for the Mavericks has a 100% job security, so it doesn't matter if his team doesn't win. So guess what he did? He let the guy go off because you guys were all sucking his dick all year. Oh, this is so cool. A white guy that, you know, misses two step backs but makes one. We'll, we'll watch that. I mean, shows you the IQ level of, of most of you guys out there. Uh, but Zion, if he's playing with AD and Randall, these are two just black holes. Okay, how many assists does, does, I mean, Randall, I think, can distribute it a little bit, and maybe AD does a little bit, but these, are, these guys are not, you know, th- these guys are not going to be looking to clear out of the way and let Zion just ISO which is really kind of his game, or kind of get in the low block and do a drop step and, and dunk it or something. He's also not going to be able to get a lot of cleanup rebounds because guess what? Anthony Davis and Julius Randles are two of the better rebounders in the league. So he's, you know, I think it's probably one of the worst, the worst situations he could be in. Now, if Anthony Davis gets traded, or if one of these other teams make a play to, to move up, Certainly that that could happen. We got several months to go here. But I think if the chips fall how we see them now, Zion goes to uh, wherever. And then the number two pick, who I'm sure will be a great player. I don't know if it's his teammate, uh, R.J. Barrett, I think. Um, I don't know if he's the number two pick or not. Um, But they're going to end up, I think Memphis has the number two pick. Talk about a team nobody cares about. 
and runs kind of like a slow kind of grinded out. I think he probably Zion would have been a better fit in in Memphis because they play that kind of half court kind of slow grinded out shit. And for New Orleans to be good, that's actually the style they need to play. They need to have less possessions, shoot high percentage shots inside, and defend the three. That's what they need to do. But they they tend to try to play up-tempo as well. That's why they're not in the playoffs, despite having good players on their team. So, you know, I think that the NBA draft lottery was kind of, was probably about as bad as it could get in terms of our hobby. Now again, not that New or- not that Zion going to New Orleans is going to hurt the interest in his cards or you know, whatever. They they'll sell for about the same I think if he went to the Knicks or the Lakers. Now, are, would they be more Knicks fans and more Laker fans kind of bidding him up? Will maybe kind of the floor price of them be a little bit higher? Probably. But a Zion card was going to be valuable whether he came and played in my backyard or he played in the NBA. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but you get what I'm saying. Um, But I think, again, I know most of you guys don't watch the games. I know most of you guys watch the highlights. You watch the step back. You watch the three Steph Curry hit. And that's all. That's your. And you maybe open up the stat book and look how many points per game a guy averaged and how many assists and rebounds. You don't look at turnovers. You don't look at shooting percentage. You don't look at plus minus. You don't look at any of this shit. Okay. I actually watched the games. I actually saw a decent amount of Pelican games last year. It is a terrible, terrible situation for Zion. Trust me. As the roster is constructed right now. Because look, Julius Randle had a great year. Go look at his stats. And considering what they're paying him, he had a great year. And Anthony Davis, again, I know he misses, he, he bumps his little fingernail and he misses a game. But when the guy plays, he's pretty fucking good. And like I said, both those guys combined are a tremendous, re- just gobbling up rebounds. Whereas Zion on the Knicks, you know, could have been instant superstar, instant all-star. Not saying that's not going to happen on the New Orleans. And in fact, being around two players like Randall and Anthony Davis that you can't just not guard like maybe half the Knicks team and probably half the Lakers team too. But he's not going to just have kind of free reign like we saw Luka Doncic have. But I think if the team is coached right and people stay healthy and maybe you know New Orleans adds a player or two, I think they could be a hell of a basketball team next year. So I think that's, that's the upside is that Zion's probably not going to be in his rookie year averaging crazy point like you know 18 19 20 points a game i just don't think there's enough shots around for that i also don't think his rebounding numbers are going to be nearly what they could be if he was on a team where he was the best rebounder or one of the best rebounders he's literally going to be the third best rebounder on on new orleans and and the other two are amazing He's also not going to be asked to block a lot of shots. But what could happen is he 
could get in a lot of good matchups because you got to imagine who's going to guard Anthony Davis, who's going to guard Julius Randle, and then who's left to guard Zion. So I think there's the upside is that as construction, again, we've got a lot of free agent, a lot of trades, and a lot of stuff that could happen. Anthony Davis certainly could say, I want out of here. But I think if Randall go, Randall's probably definitely a tradable piece. If if it's Zion and Randall, Zion and AD, I think it, you know. I think his stats won't take nearly a big a hit as if it's all three of those guys combined on one team. I I don't think that's that, that's probably one of the least the least attractive situations for for Zion going into his rookie year. Still think he's going to have wild amounts of hype. Um, and, and again, I think the upside in him is not going to necessarily be statistics, but it could be the the Pelicans being a very, very, very quality basketball team next year. Because I think, uh, you know, if the coach does a good job there and runs the right system, you could have a hell of a team there. You really could. So again, we'll see how the the sun, you know, we're kind of approaching the summertime in basketball. I know it's kind of weird to say we've got, you know, s- some really compelling uh, conference final. I've been watching. I haven't really been watching a lot of the NBA playoffs up until maybe the, this round or so and the round, a little bit of the round before this. But I'll definitely why if it's Milwaukee and, and Golden State. I'm watching that. You know, I think the, probably the least compelling team to me is is Toronto. Um, but yeah, if if Milwaukee's involved, and I definitely think the um, the Warriors are probably going to be able to close out Portland. Milwaukee and, and Oakland is going to be a really, 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 really compelling NBA Finals, and we'll see see which team can come out on top at that point. And then really kind of the fun begins because we kind of get into free agency. And what we've seen with cards, I know kind of the traditional thing is, and I think definitely this holds true in baseball, probably definitely holds true in football. I know for a fact it holds true in baseball because I'm always buying baseball prospects. You know, the nickel ones, dollar. I I was buying Nick Senzel, just for example, I was buying Nick Senzel, and I think he just got called up a little while ago, sold all those. I had Michael Chavis, I think, for the Reds. I sold those a little too soon. But I had quite a few of his cards, sold those. I had a couple other guys that I had bought in the offseason that, that you know, it was obvious they were going to get a, a get called up or whatever. So I'd buy a couple of their cards and make a little money. Uh, and I'm always buying November and December is a really good time to buy baseball because you're kind of in the – middle heat of basketball and you're right it there when football is kind of kind of hot and kind of tailing off maybe a little bit as you get into the playoffs um so nobody cares about some 19 year old that that may or may not play next year in the mlb and you just had you know the mlb uh, world series and things like that people are pretty much over um but what i found is we have empirical data on sportscarradio.com when it comes to basketball that during the offseason, these guys' cards don't actually go down a whole lot. Okay? Will you have some leveling off? Yes. I think with some of the rookies that are out right now, the Don Sex, the Trey, Trey Youngs are still kind of trending upwards actually a little bit. Um, and and the 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 guy for the Sun, the Aton or DeAndre Aton or whatever the guy for the Suns and maybe the guy for the Kings. I think you have a little bit of leveling off, especially since January and February. I mean, these guys' cards are all off 40, 50% since January, February, except for Trey Young, really. Um, 
But what we found is over the summer, basketball tends to basketball tends to do a good job with free agency. And there's also always kind of this hope where it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, Lonzo Ball is going to come back and he's going to be healthy and he's going to play with LeBron. And, you know, you can start making these arguments like, hey, this guy might actually be good. This, you know, and people get excited about their team year after year, typically in the NBA. So, um, you know, I wouldn't anticipate cards kind of going down in the offseason for, for basketball. I think Zion will suck a little bit of air, but he's not going to have cards till August or September or so. So we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens there with the NBA. But if you think you're going to kind of load up on the NBA this summer and make money right when October hits and the games start, uh, I have data that that's actually a poor, poor strategy. You actually want to buy... You actually probably want you could be I've actually been selling De'Aaron Fox cards and buying some. It's it's weird. Some of them have gone up, some of them people are still dumping. So um all in pris all wrapped around in prism too. Uh, I don't really buy a whole lot of a basketball out, outside of that. But some cards are kind of going up, some cards are kind of staying flat in value. I've actually noticed some cards kind of trending up in value. So even some, uh, believe it or not, Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball cards. Some of these guys are actually, you're seeing some, at least, at the very least, some stabilization, let alone, you know, price goes up. Price tends to kind of peak, then actually a good time to buy is actually during the season. You can actually buy these guys when the season starts and as the season kind of is going on. I mean, we saw that with Curry. I think Curry is one of the best examples of it. You could buy like Curry cards like, you know, a month before they went to the finals and they like doubled when he finally won. So that's the finals, but you can also do it kind of during the course of the year too. But I'd say be careful with the, with the the cards that are out now because Panini is still making Luka Doncic cards. Panini is still making Trey Young. I think they just re-released. They got Panini Mosaic, Prism Mosaic, and I think I've seen Prism packs kind of get restocked. So they're just printing this shit the shit out of this stuff. So I'd be a little careful with anything current. But I think you know Jason Tatum things like that. That you can start to explore kind of the price action of these cards. Whether or not they'd be a great value over the summer, I don't know. Certainly something you could keep an eye on, though. Moving on, I want to give you... That's probably about what we have for for cards. Really quickly, I wanted to give you an Amazon update. The reason why I wanted to give you an Amazon update is I haven't been working on it. And so this is a really good example of like passive income. Again, Again, I know... 90% 90% of you guys listening want to open a $4 pack and pull a $40,000 card. You want to buy into a $100 break and pull a $1,000 card. You guys want to get rich overnight. You guys want to get a, 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 a card graded 8, trim off a corner, and get it graded 10 and sell it. That's the attitude a lot of you guys have. You want to try to get rich overnight. You're trying to get rich quick. When I started this show... 11 years ago, I was dead broke. Even even on show number 83 in 2011, I wasn't broke, but I certainly didn't have a couple of Rolexes and a couple of European sports cars in the driveway. Took me a very long time. Many, many years until I felt comfortable 
buying those types of things, living that types of lifestyle. But one of the reasons why I did it, why I can brag about nice shit that's not just pictures of men is because I never tried to get rich overnight. And here's a great example of this. Okay, like I said, my son was born in early February. And I haven't I literally haven't done shit with my really anything. Recording these podcasts is like the extent of the literally the extent of the work that I have done over the last three months. Okay, it's been three months. February, March, April, May. Almost been four months. So I wanted to give you an idea on, you know, how passive this am. I know a lot, again, a lot of you guys are pickpacking and listing. You're, you're buying the items for eBay, so you're the buyer. Then you list it, so you're like the merchandiser. Then you handle emails and customer service, so you do that too. You're also pricing it. Oh, and then when it sells, guess what you have to do? You have to pick, pack, and ship it. Guys, you're wearing like eight different hats when you're selling stuff on eBay. On Amazon, you buy the stuff, you put it in a box, you put a price on it, and that's it. And there's actually software tools on Amazon that'll handle some of that for you. So really, all you got to do is buy it. And there's a lot of guys that have like Filipino VAs that handle most, if not all of it, to where really all you got to do is keep your account in good standing, which is not difficult. So here's what I've done on Amazon over the course of about three months, a little over three months. I've had $15,117 in sales. I've sold 962 units sold. Nine, I want to just stress that, guys. Nine. This is all, I didn't have to pick, pack, and ship any of those. Imagine, guys, over the last three months, you had to do 962 pick, pack, and ship items. How much time? Just look at five, just five minutes. That would have been like almost a whole day of just pickpacking and shipping, basically. Didn't have to do any of that because Amazon does it. My profit, drumroll please, $3,226. Again, I know a lot of you guys you're trying to buy a $50 card and turn it into $200. You're trying to get rich quick. So $3,000 over three and a half months doesn't sound like a lot of money, doesn't impress you guys because you owe JP Morgan and Chase $15,000 and you owe University of XYZ $58,000. But I'm not in that position. I don't owe credit card companies a bunch of money. In fact, I actually make money on my credit cards. I made well over $1,000 on credit card rewards, minus interest, minus everything last year. I'll do it again this year. Because, you know, you keep finding the card where, oh, now they give you 3% for dining out. They'll give you 5% for this. So, yeah, you're making sure you're using those cards uh, whenever you're trying to buy something. I'm getting right now. I'm getting five percent back at the grocery store. It's awesome, but anyways, um, so I made three thousand 
$226 over a course of a couple months where I didn't do shit. Now, of course, last year when I didn't have my, my second son and I was working a little bit more, these numbers were, were probably close to double this. And if I really wanted to put a lot of effort into it, these numbers could be eh, three, four, or five times this if I really wanted to make this kind of my primary thing, my primary job. Definitely could be a lot, a lot, a lot more. So that kind of moves me into really kind of my final point for today is I want you to make 2019 your best year ever, but I also want you to be intelligent about it, okay? There are business models that scale up really nicely. There are other things that really are a side hustle or kind of a second, third, fourth, fifth income, okay? One thing that I always think will always be a second, third, fourth, fifth income for everybody listening right now is buying and selling trading cards and more importantly, selling stuff on eBay. Going to, like Gary Vee has videos. He goes and gets some My Little Ponies and some Nintendo games and he sells them. And does he make money? Of course he does. But how much time did that, did that take? And could he quit all his other stuff and just do that full time? Absolutely not. So that's the one point I want to make today. A lot of people in this hobby talk about, including myself, buying and selling stuff on eBay. The problem with buying and selling stuff on eBay is, like I said, you have to wear, you're basically like the quote unquote CEO. But worse than that, you're the CFO, you're the CTO, you're the CMO, you're also the low level uh, customer service person, you're also the, the warehouse worker. You like wear every single hat on eBay. That's why that always should be considered a third or fourth income. Because believe it or not, guys, none of you guys are Superman. None of you guys are, are, you know, it's very, very, I don't want to say none of you guys, but it's very, 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 very difficult to scale up a business where you've got to buy it, list it, take photos, especially if it's one-off stuff. You're buying a single video game or you're buying um, jeans or t-shirts or or anything that you're selling. If you're just going one by one by one by one, picture, listing, marketing, selling, picking, packing, you're going one by one by one by one. It's always going to be a side thing. And again, for a lot of you guys listening, might be a good thing. Might be a good way to pay down some debt. Might be a good way to have a little extra money. Not I'm not discouraging you from doing it. I just want to talk to you guys about the reality of either a side hustle or a business. In my opinion, Amazon is completely the opposite. It could become a business. And I know many, 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 I don't know them necessarily personally, but through listening to podcasts and being an Amazon seller and being aware of the community, there are way, 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 more Amazon sellers that are crushing it as their primary income than people doing that on eBay right now. Are there people that are crushing eBay? Yeah. But the number is minuscule compared to the people that are crushing Amazon. And the reason for that is, guess what? Amazon handles all the customer service. Guess what? Amazon pick packs and ships your items. And guess what, guys? 
The fact that customers can get uh, pretty soon, 80, 90% of the country is going to get their, their Amazon package in one day. And believe me, guys, in another year or two, almost everything you buy on Amazon will be same day. You'll buy it, and if you buy it by, say, 1 p.m. your time, you'll get it the same day. So, newsflash, newsflash to all you fucking geniuses out there, you can charge more on Amazon. Can't tell, tell you how many people are like, oh, Amazon, you know, they have a lot of fees, and uh, it seems, uh, you know, you know, things cost a little bit more on there. I, uh, can't tell you how many times I go to like a, a discussion about Walmart versus, this is in the stock market. Guys talk about Wal- comparing Walmart to Amazon as if there's any comparison, but guys tend to compare the two stocks for whatever reason, like it's Warriors versus Portland, uh, instead of them being, you can own both, but anyways... But a lot of the Walmart guys say, oh, everything's a little more expensive on Amazon. That's why I get in my, uh, you know, 1980s pickup and, and drive away from my double wide and go to Walmart. Newsflash, newsflash, people pay more when the items come in two days, let alone one day, let alone same day. So you can imagine the buying habits of people are going to change more and more and more as Amazon moves closer and closer to same-day shipping. So people like me are going to be able to charge more and more and more for stuff as Amazon improves their fulfillment channels, which they are doing. When's the last time eBay, eBay like forces you, eBay like makes you do all this. They're like, you should deliver the package in four days, in, in two days. And if you don't, we're gonna we're gonna you know hit your account. Or is Amazon? They, they just sp- Amazon just announced they're spending eight hundred million dollars to deliver everybody's package in one day. Guess what? I don't have to do it. I don't have to do that. I just am a net beneficiary of all the investment they're going to do there. So that's why uh, you know I t- uh, you go to these industry events they don't talk about Amazon. That should be a really really big big alert alert alert. A bunch of fucking sweaty smelly sports card guys go to a conference. None of them have a nice watch on. None of them have a nice pair of shoes on. None of them drive a nice car. Most of them are on their last fucking dollar. Most of them have more money in trim slabs than money in the bank. And all they fucking talk about is eBay. Or getting on fucking a webcam and breaking cards. Guys, this is why you guys don't have any money. This is why I can get on here and say, guys, oh yeah, um, I bought a BMW. Ha ha, ha ha. Oh, I bought another Rolex. Ha 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 ha. Oh God, I bought another $130 pair of pants. Ha 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 ha. Oh, guys, wait till you see my fucking cabin. You'll see videos of that next month. Ha 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 ha. Oh, once, you know, the new Mercedes comes out that I want, guess what? I'll show pictures of that. Ha, 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 ha. The reason why I'm doing that is because I'm not paying attention to all you broke fucking losers. The number one e-commerce site in the fucking world is Amazon. If you want to make money and scale up to a real business, use Amazon. And if you want to have passive income, play with your kids all day. 
Use Amazon because I just told you, I just told you I have $15,000 in sales. I sold 962 items for $3,226 in profits. How many of you guys did that on eBay and compare, how many of you guys sold 962 units on eBay and how much fucking work did that take? Pickpacking and ship each one of those. Bet that took a lot of work. And a lot of you guys are trying to sell one by one by one. You get a card and you sell it. You get something from the thrift store and then you sell it. That I also think is not a great... That's why a lot of you guys don't migrate over to Amazon because really what you want to find on Amazon is like a couple products that sell really well day after day after day, week after week after week, year after year after year. And mix in a little seasonal stuff too. There's a lot of seasonal stuff that that goes up in price very quickly. I've talked about it on this show. Wait till kids go back to school. I'll be showing you pictures of thou. I'll buy like literally four or five thousand dollars worth of backpacks in a, in a like. I'll buy four or five thousand dollar backpacks really in a three or four day period, and I'll sell them all on Amazon in about three or four days, and I'll make a couple thousand bucks, maybe a thousand or two bucks. So just think about these business models, these side hustles. You see these guys go to flea markets. You see them buying uh, video games or you see them, you know, dink, 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 dink. But just remember, is that guy feeding his family that way? Is that guy going to put himself through through college that way? Probably not. College might be different. But are you going to feed your family that way? Are you going to buy a house that way? Again, I know some of you guys live in the middle of Tennessee and the middle of Kansas and the most expensive house on your street doesn't cost more than my Mercedes. Okay, guess what, guys? I don't live there. I live in California. We're not buried under 12 feet of snow half the year. It's not raining here. I mean, it is raining here today, but it's not. It's like drizzling. And it's really rare, actually, for it to be raining this time of year. Not really rare, but it's somewhat rare. Things cost more out here in California because we're not buried under snow. Can't tell you how many guys I've had tell me, oh, you're stupid for living in California. (laughs) And it's like, no, you're stupid when the fucking tornado hits your fucking double wide or when the floods come in or the hurricane comes in or when the snow sets down your city for half the year or when it's 125 degrees out and you can't go anywhere. Raise your hand if you live somewhere like that. Okay, I don't. Raise your hand if you've added up, uh, oh, put a new roof or put new windows on your house every time they get blown out or the flood damage. What is that? How much does that cost? Guess what, guys? I guarantee you I haven't paid, uh, you know, 10 years of state tax, let alone a year's worth of state tax, comes anywhere close to the just the damage that happens to your property in a lot of these little flyover and shithole states that you guys live in. So this is obviously for the haters, a little bit of this. But just, again, I want you guys to make 2019 your best year ever, but I also want you to set up 2020-21 to be your best years financially 
and not a grind, not where you're buying one thing, selling it, buy one thing, sell it, buy one thing, sell it, buy one thing, sell it. That's a great side hustle. If that's what you need, go ahead and continue it. If you find it kind of fun and and entertaining, go ahead and keep doing it. But those businesses, you know, take a lot of work. Picture taking, sizing, listing, description, title, etc., etc., etc. Find four products that sell on Amazon. You have to write one title and one description, and that's it. The item will sell, 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 sell. Just to give you an example, I said I made $3,000 in profit over this period of time where my, my son was, was born. Over half that profit is only on two items. So literally two items account for over half the profits. And one of the items is literally a plastic box. I literally sell plastic boxes on Amazon and make nearly $1,000 in three months. Plastic boxes, guys. Not Steph Curry cards. I know you guys get way more attention for your Steph Curry cards or your Mickey Mantles or whatever. I'd much rather sell $1,000 profit on a plastic box. I can buy as many as I want. Talk about getting inventory. I can buy as many fucking plastic boxes as I want. Trust me, there's no allocation on these. And they sell time and time and time and time and time every day on Amazon. Plastic boxes, guys. So just remember that when you're starting your side hustle, starting your business, if you want it to be a number, you know, you have a job and you want to quit that job, make sure what you're going to replace that with is something that is feasible. Buying and selling things one by one by one by one on eBay is not going to do it. Trust me, it's not going to do it. Now, there are ways to scale that model, but it would take hiring people and kind of expanding your network. And, and, and again, you're, then you're taking on quite a bit of risk. Whereas websites, selling on Amazon, things like that can be scaled up by one person doing, you know, very simple things. Much easier thing to do. Also, the thing you need to be careful about is scaling your business up to no return. I actually listened to a very, um, very insightful podcast. It's called Ecom Crew, E-C-O-M Crew, C-R-E-W, Ecom Crew. And it's, I actually was, uh, I think, one of their first shows. I sent them an email. They literally spent the whole show. It's probably worth out. This guy's like charges money to consult people. They literally, these two guys literally went over my questions in an entire podcast because it was one of their first ones. I was probably one of the first people to contact them. But so I've been following this guy's journey 
selling on Amazon. He talks a lot about selling on Amazon. And he creates his own brand. He brings over not like pallet loads, like container loads of product from China. So he sources the he he like did coloring books and pens and stuff. And he was sourcing this stuff from China and he was like outlaying like he had sometimes a million dollars in inventory, like millions just sitting out there either in the ocean or an Amazon warehouse. And I was thinking to myself, and he was like, this is a good way to go. And he was, you know, setting up his own Shopify. And I was like, every time I'd listen to this guy, I'd be like, fuck, that sounds like a lot of work. And damn, that sounds like a lot of risk. You know, if I had a million dollars in products sitting in the ocean somewhere right now, I'd probably be pissing my fucking pants. Well, come to find out, if you follow this guy's podcast, follow his journey, he got burnt out. He got tired of all the risk, got tired of all the work. He wasn't even really, he had all these other people work, like running the business for him. He had like employees and operation managers and everything. But he had warehouse space and all this stuff, and he, he sold his business. You'd think, damn, this guy's probably doing, he's crushing it. He's flying around doing it, consulting gigs and, and talking at conferences based on what he's done with this company, this coloring book company, literally. And he sold it, sold the business. That's because he got burnt out. So that's the other thing I want you guys to be aware of when you're trying to make 2019 your best year ever. It's not all, you know, the outside my, my house, my rose plants are blooming. They look wonderful. I cut them and I put them in my crystal vases I buy from old ladies on Craigslist. And they look wonderful and they smell beautiful. But for parts of the year, they don't look as good. Okay? They get these little aphids on them and things like that too. Okay? So my point was it's, it's making 2019 your best year ever is it about focusing on the lifestyle? Is it focusing on the positive, staying positive, staying motivated? Absolutely, that's important. But also, giving yourself a dose of reality is healthy and smart as well. Certainly, you know, 11, 10, 9 years ago when I didn't have any money and I was working on these websites, putting stuff up for free, I had plenty of plenty of times where I doubted whether or not it was going to work or not whether or not the strategy was going to work and pay off. And, and that, is, that is healthy too as well. And deciding if you want to build a business or a primary, maybe a better way to put it, is a primary income source where it's feeding your family versus a side hustle. If you like going to garage sales, like going to thrift stores, by all means, I ain't telling you to stop. I, believe me, I like going to my uh, garage sale. If I, you know, if I'm passing by a good garage sale, I'll stop. If I go by a, a thrift store that I that I've seen good stuff in, I, yeah, maybe I'll stop in and, and and check it out. But just understand those types of things where you're getting things one by one by one, listing one by one by one by one off item. That's always, always, always again not. Not 100% of the time, but I'd say 99-ish percent of the time, that's always going to be a side hustle. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some of you guys may need that in your life. But if you want to build a primary source of income, you need to be focused on those scalable business models. 
Amazon, check out my cards. The Real Real is also another consignment place. I, I've, I've just kind of, I won't get into the story of why I, I consigned something through them, but I found that their business model, I was like, wow, if you had a good bead on higher end brand name stuff, this would be an awesome place to kind of scale up that business because they literally do all the work. They take the pictures, they put it in a store, they put it on their website, they, uh, they do everything. They take a healthy commission, same with Amazon, but they do a lot of the work. Same with Check On My Cards. They do a lot of the work for you. I mean, if you're going to be selling cards one by one by one by one, there's a reason why you don't see guys flashing Rolexes and Benzes and nice houses and vacations selling cards one by one by one by one by one. They, it just doesn't, doesn't happen, guys. Is there maybe one guy or two guys that can make it work? Maybe, yeah. But what, you know, what's their JP Morgan Chase balance looking like these days? Um, so, and again, if you're going to scale up a primary income source, if you're going to scale up a side hustle, just remember lifestyle should always be number one. Always focus on the lifestyle. I've had a lot of people, uh, uh, you know, say, "Oh, you could be, you could be making so much money with Sports Card Radio if you cupped everybody's balls and cupped everybody's nutsacks." Uh, newsflash, guys! Newsflash: That's not what we're trying to do here. I'm not trying to scale up, quote unquote, Sports Card Radio into some big thing where I give people some uh, polo shirts and have them run around the national or whatever events going on. I don't want that. Certainly, we could have done that, but I don't want that. I don't want desks. I don't want phones. I don't want payroll. I don't want fucking people emailing me or calling me. I want to sit at home, watch fucking sports. I want to raise my two kids. I want to have as much fun with them as possible. And if I have a little bit of extra money to buy a nice car and have a couple of nice watches, then hey, it's pretty awesome. It's even better. Lifestyle should always be number one. That is 100% the way you're going to make 2019 your best year ever. And don't fall into the trap of the 99%. The 99% of you guys out there listening want me to come on here and say, hey, Topps Big League came out this week. It's $36 a box. It has 24 packs and you get one fucking shitty gold card and an autograph per box. 99% of you guys listening want me to do that. You want me to get on my website and say, hey, I know PSA's trimming slabs, but they're hardworking people over there. And PWCC is a a perpetrator of the scam as well. But boy, there's got to be some hardworking people there. We all love you guys. No, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I'm trying to make fucking money and sit on my ass so I can watch fucking Tiger Woods like I did today and I can watch Tiger Woods tomorrow and watch the Warriors play and watch the fucking Giants play and lose and go in the backyard and chip some fucking golf balls and throw the baseball around with my sons. That's all I want to do. Period. I don't want to scale sports card radio up into this media empire or this journalistic outfit God knows I don't want to do that. And the same thing goes for a lot of the other things that I do. 
Could I scale up my Amazon business $13,000, $15,000 in profit a month? You know, do six, seven, eight figures, you know, six, six, you know, five, six figures a month in sales? Yeah, I could do that. But goddamn, I'd have to have office space and warehouses and pallet jacks and uh, fucking all this shit. I don't want all that. I just want to sit around and chill. And that's the key for a lot of you guys listening. Don't listen to the 99% of people out there. Figure out what you want to do. Figure out what's right for you, right for your family, right for your situation, and create a plan, create a process, execute on your process, which will help resolve and get you to your plan, which will ultimately take patience. You need a plan. You need a process. More importantly, you need patience. And most of you guys don't have it. You don't have what it takes. You don't have the patience to scale up a business into a primary income. You just want to go one-off, 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 one-off. And basically, be creating a job for yourself instead of a lifestyle. So focus on that. It takes a lot of focus, and it takes a lot of determination, and it takes a lot of patience. But uh, trust me, if you have the right plan, you have the right process, and you have patience, it will absolutely come true. Absolutely. So hopefully, you guys, again, I know this wasn't a show where we were all pissed off. And this wasn't a show where we're just clapping and, and, you know, doing all these things. But, uh, you know, we had a little bit in here for the the sports card guys. I know a lot of you guys want me to talk about, you know, there's 24 packs in big league and there's, you know, 18 packs in this product. And so we had a little bit of that. Talked a little bit about Gary Vee, my boy. Um, I know, you know, hey, what's up, Gary Vee? I know you're cracking that bottle bottle of wine when you're tuning in. Appreciate you, bro. Uh, Talked a little bit about the NBA draft. And then... Talked, gave you an Amazon update, which kind of ties into, um, you know, these side hustle things, and whether you're creating kind of a side income, a side hustle, or you're building up a primary business. Okay, my primary business is buying ads to a single page on a website. That's really my primary business. Some months I make 5000 Some months I make 7000 Some months I make 9000 Some months I make 12000 But it's fairly consistent. It's pretty easy. Doesn't take any work. But it's incredibly scalable when you see, oh, 400,000 people search this term a day and it costs me a nickel to be at the top of the page. Uh, probably would be a pretty good business. And I saw that four or five years ago and I haven't touched the website since and I really haven't changed the ads at all. The only thing I change in the ad every year is I think I started the ads in 2014 or 15. The only thing I have to change on the ads is the date. So sometimes it says 2015, when it's 2016, I change it to 2016. When it's, I just changed it, actually I was a little late this year, but I just changed it to 2019. That's all I have to do. That's it. The, the one page that I advertise to, I literally haven't touched it. The only times I've touched it is when there's been, you know, script changes or I went, I changed servers and I went from 
my uh, PHP 4 to PHP 5 or whatever. And so I had to do some tweaks of the code and I had to get the guy that wrote the code to, to actually fix it for me. That only cost 100 bucks or 150 bucks, and I was off and running again, making thousands of dollars a month. Could I have podcasts and webinars and tell you guys all about this? Yeah, I could. But guys, I just want to sit around and make money and talk about you know, pictures of men. So think about that as you're trying to make 2019 your best year ever. What's a scalable business? What's more of a side hustle or a side income? What's a scalable business or scalable primary income where, yeah, you can be buying nice watches and cars and feeding your family at the same time? And I, again, I know a lot of you guys listening want to be, you had the cardboard connection guy calling, he would always go around, I'm the CEO. I remember even the people that he put in polo shirts would come, oh, I got, I, I have to talk to the CEO about that. Or, oh, we'd have to run that by the CEO. I know a lot of you guys want to be a CEO. You want the 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 ripping wax fucking uh, midget from Miami in in the court documents. Made sure he made made fucking sure he identified him. I think he said he was an innovator and a pioneer in the group breaking business. Okay, guys, I know you guys want fancy titles. You want to call yourself an innovator and a fucking, you know, a president, a CEO. Guys, I don't care about any of that. I just want 2019 to be my best year ever. And the way I'm going to do that is actually by working less, making less money, and spending more time with my family. Now, for the rest of you guys, you might be there in your life, you might not be, but the key thing is listen to yourself, listen to your situation, don't listen to the 99% out there, certainly don't listen to the haters that can't show you a nickel, can't show you a nice watch, can't show you a nice car, claims they fucking have a nice house, but then show you a double wide, claim they have a, we literally had a guys on Facebook say, oh, I live in a nice house and it's a double wide. And then I had another guy on Facebook say, oh yeah, look at my car. And he showed me a picture of a, a fucking minivan. So God knows if I listen to these guys and, and, you know, they're all telling me, oh, you should be nicer to people. You shouldn't say trimmed cards of men. You shouldn't say card fondlers. You're so mean to everybody. Guys, fucking grow a fucking nutsack. Have you ever listened to sports talk radio? The best fucking ones make fun of everybody that calls in. You think Jim Rome's with his whole clone, you clones bits? He's really making fun of you guys. There's a guy out here in the Bay Area, Gary Radnich. He drives a fucking Bentley. And he makes fun of everybody that calls in. He's, he's gotten a little softer as age has gotten, gotten to him. But guy, the guy rips on everybody that calls in, rips on the players, rips on everybody. Stop doing what the 99% wants you to do. Stop suffering from this groupthink that happens everywhere in politics, but especially in the sports card industry as well. Groupthink is, oh, PS, PWCC is a great place to sell cards. Oh, PSA, they must know what they're fucking talking about. Oh, Wander fucking Franco must be the fucking next coming of Jesus. Oh, a fucking white basketball player who doesn't speak English is really awesome. 
Come on, guys. Start thinking for yourself. Be a fucking man. And 2019 will be a great year for you. Hopefully you guys have all tuned in and had a great day. We'll be back some other time, some other place. But until then, we are out of here.